Good morning. Uh, I am not Pastor Joel. I'm, I'm Assistant Pastor David Balzer. I've been asked and am honored with the privilege of preaching God's word to you this morning. At this time, our children may be dismissed for Children's Church. If y'all will head down the aisle and follow our children's workers. Um, uh, and make sure you go back and pick up your kids after worship. So just a little reminder. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> we'll be focusing on verse 2, but I want to read some context. I want to read verses 1 through 12. The title of this sermon is Harvest Prayer. We are still in our sermon series on prayer. And I was reminded this week that I should have great expectations of what God does through the preaching of his word. I should probably go back and listen to some of Pastor Joel's sermons on prayer. Because sinfully, sometimes I come to hear the word of God. I guess God reminds you of this when you're actually preaching. Uh, I can come to sermons and it's like, yeah, great sermon. But I don't think God's going to change my life from this day forward through what he speaks to me through his holy word. And I want to challenge you as we read God's word together and as you hear God's word preached to you, to really believe that God can change your prayer life forever. And the thing that I hope enters your prayer life more in a way that transforms you and advances the kingdom is this, that the harvest makes it into your prayers. So listen to God's word, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. And greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, thank you so much for reminding us through your word of the reality of the great harvest. Father, we thank you that not only is the church your adopted family, it is an expanding family. Father, we thank you that the church is not a games-locked recess game 
We look outside and say, sorry you didn't make it. Leave us alone while we play our game. But your church is an adoption agency thrusting forth workers into the world to gather your children from every nation, tribe, and tongue, summing up a number more than a man can number from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Father, again, we confess to you our indifference, our feeling like, hey, well, he's got me and his family. Who else does he need? (laughs) Lord, break our hearts Open the eyes of our hearts. Give us the vision of the harvest. Help us to feel your urgency, Lord. Wake us up to this amazing opportunity. Give us deep concern for the problem that still exists. And God, would you help us to lay hold of your answer in faithful prayer and even in going. We pray these things for your glory, and we pray, God, that as we focus on what we're to do today, we pray that the gospel of what Jesus did would ring forth and shine forth and fill us with your love, that we might be more like Jesus. We pray these things for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, as I was praying, if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to look at three things from verse 2. You can pray, but hopefully it's going to be a shorter sermon. You know, only a preacher can, like, make something really simple really long. And so don't let me do that by your prayers, okay? Um, I'm going to read verse 2 again. And I think you can see our three points in it. You know, every sermon has to have three points, right? And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. So point one, the great opportunity The opportunity is great. The harvest is great. The great opportunity. Number two, here's the problem, but the laborers are few. So the opportunity, the problem, what does Jesus say? Oh, well, (laughs) no. He says, therefore, go out. No, he says go in a minute, right? He does not immediately tell them to go. What does he tell them to do? You can shout it out, even though we're Presbyterians. You can speak in church. Pray, pray, pray like, Lord, we just pray that you'd send like laborers into your harvest. No, pray earnestly, Lord, thrust them out. Send them out into your harvest. Lord, go, 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 send them out. There's this urgency, right? So the answer, so the opportunity, the problem, and the answer. The opportunity, the harvest is great. The problem, the laborers are few. The answer, pray for laborers. And when you pray for laborers, watch out, because he just might make you one of them. All right? So let's jump in. As we focus on this verse, the context is that Jesus has um, sent out, Jesus has launched a second short-term mission trip. The first short-term mission trip was for the 12 apostles. He used the same words. In other Gospels, we see that same basic instructions for them to go out and do these things. Now he's, he's launching a second mission trip, but you know, all the people up on stage, you think that's a big mission trip, right? This is 70 people, all right, going out two by two into the towns that he was about to go into and teach and preach the kingdom of God, but he sent them as his heralds to heal and to proclaim the kingdom of God as a foretaste of the coming ultimate kingdom where there's no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death. He's, he's preparing these towns for his arrival. 
And so this 72, or some texts have the variant 70, is evocative of the fact that Moses called 70 elders. Then the Lord gave the Holy Spirit to 70 elders in Israel to, uh, to help him to be sort of his hands and feet around Israel in different court cases and judging situations. And so it reminds us of that. The 12 apostles reminds us of the 12 tribes of Israel. So we see Jesus as that great prophet that would be like Moses, but would be greater than Moses, prophesied back in the Old Testament. That he would bring the words of life. Whoever hears him has life. Whoever rejects his words is, is judged forever. You see these sobering warnings of Jesus in here, those last words, like, if you come and you proclaim the kingdom and, and they reject you, you know, Sodom on the day of judgment's not going to fare so hot, pun intended, um, but it'll be far worse for those who've seen the miracles of Jesus and have heard his words and have heard the word of God preached even from us uh, and reject Jesus. And so this is a sobering thing. So there are obviously certain things that don't necessarily directly apply to us. You know, when Pastor Joel was telling us about going, encouraging us about what we're going to do in Uganda, he, does, he didn't say all the same things Jesus said, and I believe with good reason, because some of these instructions are for this particular context of the new covenant breaking in with the earthly ministry of Jesus and the gospel being launched out to the Gentiles and a very unique ministry of his early disciples. Now, sometimes, I mean, we pray for people to get healed, and sometimes they do, and the Lord does use our prayers for that, but I think that some of these miraculous signs um, that they were called to do uh, so directly were in a more concentrated form in this early ministry. Um, we're going to bring suitcases when we go to Uganda. I'm going to bring extra changes of underwear uh, to the great thankfulness of everyone else around me. So, you know, we're not following the... Sorry, that was a little gross for church. Um, we, uh, we're not f called to follow all these instructions precisely in this era. But obviously, I believe, you know, when Jesus tells you how to pray... Uh, you should kind of like hold on to that, right? And what I, want, what I want us to think about is how he gives the reason for this prayer. Uh, the first is this great opportunity. And so when we think about this harvest, verse 2, the harvest is plentiful. What is he talking about? What is this harvest? Well, we know from what he says elsewhere about the kingdom of God coming near you and what he says elsewhere in the Gospels when he talks about the kingdom of God coming near, he says, repent and believe the Gospel, the good news. Jesus says, "Whoever truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. It's that simple. True faith and the true Jesus gives you true eternal life. And so the harvest is... There are people out there who do not yet have eternal life. They have not yet accepted God's offer to forgive them their sins, to adopt them and bring them into his family, and then raise them up to be with him forever when Jesus comes back. They haven't yet come into the family of God. They haven't yet been harvested out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. It's this great harvest. Now, this is 2,000 years ago. The, the, the Lord dealt primarily with the people of Israel. We see other people like uh, Persians coming in sometimes here and there and other people, but he had focused primarily on Israel. And now with the new covenant, as we see in the book of Acts especially, 
the gospel is breaking out explicitly and God is sending laborers into this world harvest because Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. Yes, some people will go to hell, but when we, at the resurrection, when we look back at everything, we will truly, we will exclaim, Jesus truly is the Savior of the whole world. People from every tribe and tongue. That's why he says that the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is, is people yet to be brought into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. And, but he says that the harvest is great because salvation is coming to the world. You remember God's promise to Abraham? That in him and then ultimately in his seed, Jesus, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Again, it doesn't erase the, the reality, the horrible reality of hell, but, but there is this big picture greatness of harvest. All the families of the earth, this big, broad, huge picture of salvation. The harvest is great. Psalm twenty-two twenty-seven says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. That sounds like a pretty big harvest to me, doesn't it? Isn't it to you? Now fast forward 2,000 years, the gospel has gone forth big time, right? Into all kinds of places in the world. But does he think that that means that the harvest is no longer great? Like, yeah, back then the harvest was great, but now, like, hey, we're all Christians now, man. You know, it's fine. We just, we don't need to worry about the harvest because, hey, I'm here, right? You're here, we're here. Who else is out there, right? No, the harvest is still great. The harvest is not just great in quote-unquote unreached people groups. The harvest is great right here in Pensacola because there are many, many people here who have not yet been brought from death to life through the Holy Spirit of God. They've not yet tasted the goodness of the Lord through the gospel of Jesus Christ, sent, obedient, suffering in our place, dying and rising again from the dead, sitting at the right hand of God, coming back to make everything great. They haven't yet tasted and seen the Lord's goodness. They haven't been brought into the family yet. The harvest is still great. Do you believe that? You know, um, I was talking to a neighbor of mine when we lived in Atlanta, and he grew up in a rural town in Georgia, and everyone he knew, pretty much, was a professing Christian. I mean, you know, they're all sort of spread out. If you're in a, a less populated area, and, you know, it's been kind of a Christianized area, it doesn't mean that everyone's saved there, but, like, where would you go for the harvest in a town like that? If you're like, hey, I want to share the gospel with someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. I'll talk to him. Hey, do you know Jesus? Yeah, I know Jesus. Oh, okay. Hey, do you know Jesus? Well, sure. Now, do they? Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. You know, so there's still evangelism opportunities. But uh, do you know Jesus? Yes. Well, where can I find someone who doesn't know Jesus? Oh, you go overseas for that, right? Foreign missions. Because, hey, we're all Christians here, Right? Now, I can, I'm, not rip, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. If I lived in that experience, that would make sense. Like, the harvest is out there, over with those people, not with us, because we're all Christians here, right? That, I mean, if that's your experience, that's going to be the scope that you have. Your, your, your vision will be narrow about the, the harvest in terms of what's going on around you. But... Um, if you read and if you watch stuff, um, you probably know that that's not the way it is. 
anymore. Like in our country, in our neighborhoods, even in the South, the sort of Bible Belt, um, people have called this sort of a post-Christian era. It doesn't mean that people aren't still Christians, obviously. But there's this kind of Christendom mindset that like civilization equals Christianity. It's triumphed around the world. You know, missions is out there, way far away. And that is just not true. And I, I want Jesus' words, he wants his words, the harvest is plentiful to sink deep down into your, not just head, but your heart. And to open the eyes of your heart and your soul to really have a vision that the harvest is great. The game's not locked. God ain't done adopting more kids. And there are so many kids out there, adults too, you know, who he's going to bring into his family. But that leads us to the problem. Now, if you're a good Presbyterian who believes in election and predestination and all that stuff, you're like, what is that? Don't worry, we can talk about it later. Um, you know, sometimes you might forget that there's a problem, right? Because, but here, I just want you to think about, the same Jesus who says, you know, if you want to break into my computer, at least one of my old passwords was, was this verse, right? John 6.37 and following. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out, right? But then he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And he says, this is the will of, I've, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And the will of him who sent me is this, that of all he's given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. This is like the airtight plan of salvation, right? None will be lost that the Father gives to Jesus. There will be no empty seats at the wedding supper of the Lamb with a name tag, like Billy didn't make it even though the Father tried to give him to Jesus, right? But in that same breath in John 6, Jesus also says that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. He, you've got game, uh, airtight, not games locked, but airtight plan of salvation, and free offer of the gospel, same breath. They both fit together. It's mysterious, but it's right there in your face. So, the Jesus who said all that stuff that I just quoted from John chapter 6 also sees a huge problem. Do you? Do you see a problem? Or are you, like I sometimes do, misusing this stuff that Jesus was saying in that one part, right? to like not really see this as a problem. Humanly speaking, right? We are the watchmen. You know, deliver someone who is headed to destruction. You know, Jesus sees the, sh the fewness of laborers as a problem. So what, what, could, what, he, what could he be talking about there? Because you know we say, in one sense, every Christian is a missionary, right? In one sense. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But if every Christian was a laborer, you know, you wouldn't say the laborers are few, right? I mean, because there's a lot of Christians around the world. And so I do think that while in some ways we labor in all of our various circles, there is a kind of labor that he's talking about that would be more of like, People who are intentionally going out and being among non-Christians. Now, I know you're like, what is he talking about? 
I'll explain that in a little bit more. When we think about Jesse and Reba Lothar standing up here, they are laborers in a certain way that, that you are not, if you're, this, many of us are not laborers, right? We get to share the gospel with people in our city, but I'm not standing up here crying because I know that I won't see you in like, for like five years, right? It's sort of like you're in the military. I wasn't in the military, so military people, be patient with me. But you're like, not everyone's a Green Beret, right? It doesn't mean that God loves Green Berets more than the other people in the military, but there are different levels of calling and commitment. It doesn't mean that, well, if you really love the Lord, you'll go do this. No. But there are also specific callings as laborers in this sense as well. And so I want us to recognize that distinction while also realizing that we can all be laborers in a certain sense with the people that God has placed us around in our daily lives, right? And also being a little bit more intentional about how we spend our time in our city. So the laborers are few. Think about in the church. Now, I'm not saying this is true of us because we're better than every other church, right? But, just kidding. But there's the 80-20 rule. You know what that is? That 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work, right? So... There may be a fewness of laborers even just, you don't have to go far. You don't have to buy a plane ticket, you know. Um, there's lots of opportunities to serve and to labor in a harvest within the church. Do you think there might be some people who don't know the Lord Jesus yet who are on our property on Sunday morning? I'm not like looking around at specific people in the audience or I mean in the pews or anything. But like little children who don't know the Lord yet. Um, I want to share with you, when I, was, um, when I was in high school, I was the non-Christian in the youth group. I did not know Jesus yet. Uh, I used to make fun of what I'm preaching right now, like the Jesus is the only way and stuff. I used to, and then the Lord laughingly called me to be a pastor, right? So, but I, w- I was the non-Christian in the youth group with, you know, um, and the Lord sent laborers they didn't have to buy a plane ticket, but they labored in my life to share the gospel with me. And it wasn't just a youth pastor who was preaching, it was the other youth group kids that actually sang. Because I'm going to tell you, I heard the gospel in McDonald's months before I visited the Pinewood Presbyterian. You heard that right. No S, but Pinewood Presbyterian in Middleburg, Florida, 1994. Uh, I visited their youth group. And they sang that song, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. And it has that line, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? It was the same gospel I'd heard at McDonald's from a stranger months before. And I burst into tears. And so, hey, if you're in the youth group, you know, I guess you don't really sing that much. When you're in church, sing. It's a ministry. Singing and worshiping is a ministry. You're laboring in that way. The Lord used that in my life. And so you don't have to buy a plane ticket to be a laborer, Right? There's more work to be done. And if you can't think of anything specific that you're like, oh yeah, this is what I do to, to help in the overall ministry of Pinewoods Church, I would love to talk to you. There's no shame. I would love to talk to you. That's part of my job description, right? Pastor of Outreach and Connection. Connect me with each other, but also opportunities to serve. And so I would love to talk to you. You can look on our website. Um, ask anyone around you, how could I help? And they might be able to answer your question. But then also, the laborers are few in Pensacola. 
How many Christians intentionally spend time with the purpose of spending time with mostly non-Christians? How many church people do that? Now, I totally cheat. I get paid to do that, all right? So when y'all are in your nine to five, I get to be in a coffee shop, all cool hipster pastory, and I'm getting paid. You're like, we're paying it for that? What? But I'm part of this year-long training thing uh, with a group called Evangelize Today that the church has paid for me to do. And it trains pastors in kind of a different approach to evangelism, which focuses very much on listening and getting to know people over time and finding your parish. Becoming a regular where you go to someone else's comfort zone. Can you imagine that, right? I'm not sure. That sounds patronizing. Sorry. But like, hey, you should come to our church. Well, why don't you come to my church? Meaning, why don't you come to my bar? Why don't you come to my coffee shop? Why don't you come skate with me? Why don't you come to the beach with me? Why don't you come to uh, Beefo Brady's? If you're online and you work at Beefo Brady's, hopefully you've met me. I don't know. Um, that's one of my parishes. So I'll go and eat lunch at the bar uh, so I can talk to people at, B- at Beefo Brady's. Is there some place that you could become a regular at that may be outside of your immediate comfort zone, but the whole goal is for you to just be there and wait on the Lord, and you're open to meeting non-Christians and getting to know them, and, and not just like truthing them or presenting stuff at them, but listening to them, learning who they are, and waiting for the Lord to give you the opportunity to share the hope that you found in Jesus. The laborers are few, not just in the church, but in the world. I mean, in our, even our own city. And then around the world, our church has committed, Pinewoods Church, to a thing that our denomination has asked us to consider, which is the 1% pledge. That we are praying, and hey, we're doing pretty well, right? Reba and Jesse, we got other missionaries too, right? That 1%, we're asking God to send at least 1% of our congregation to go out into the world to go into another uh, nation, to go out in that way, that Green Beret crying in front of your church family because you know you're gonna, not going to see him in five years. Or a short-term mission trip, right? But mainly longer term. And Pastor Joel talked about all the spiritual warfare that we've experienced even as a church since committing to that. Like, the devil doesn't like that. He wants you to just stay in your churchy circles, Right? All right, and so around the world, 1%, you know, that's good, but let's pray for more laborers, right, than even just 1%. So the opportunity, the harvest is great. God's not done adopting more kids, and there's lots of people that he's going to adopt. But even though he says all that God's sovereign stuff, he sees it as a problem that the laborers are few. And so what's the answer? Well, just go, man. Just get on a plane and go. Just No, what does Jesus say first? Pray. So what am I supposed to do with this sermon? Laborers or workers or missionaries should be in your prayer vocabulary more. If you, if you obey what God is commanding you to do from his word this morning, the evangelistic endeavor into the harvest both globally regionally, and very, very, very locally, even in your own family, discipling your children, that that will be on your lips and in your heart. That the harvest prayer becomes more a part of your prayer life. What does Jesus say? Here's the answer, right? Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, 
There's a word that we get the word apostle from in the Greek that means send out, but there's this different word that's like throw out or thrust out, like with urgency, you know? Uh, Again, if you're in some kind of battle context and you're supposed to like charge a hill or something, you know, it wouldn't be like, hey guys, you might kind of want to like go over there and do some stuff to protect your country. It's go, 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 right? That urgency, like go, go, go. God's thrusting them out into the field. Now, some of you may have experienced that. I did with this Uganda trip, you know, like we were talking about it. I was talking to Pastor Joel and he was like, hey, why don't you, why don't you go on that trip? He was like, Okay, and I didn't even think about, I can do that? Real, that's awesome. And some of you may be like, somehow I met this guy, Noel, and now I'm going to Uganda. That's kind of weird. You know what I bet happened? I bet Noel obeyed Jesus and prayed that God would thrust laborers into the harvest. You're like, hey, I'm on a plane. Woo! I was thrusted into the harvest, right? So pray that God would send out people into the harvest, drive out or throw out laborers into the field. And so I've already talked about this, but pray specifically first in the church that God would thrust forth more laborers into the life of our church. Think about opportunities to connect with people who don't yet know Jesus, whether children's ministry, youth ministry, adult ministry. We've got an outreach team that I'm leading. If you want to talk to me, if you want to be on it, be great. Um, There are opportunities that we need laborers in the church, right? But also pray specifically for more church people to spend time intentionally in the wild. That's the phrase that my friend Bert, who mentors me with that program, uses. And it just means not in churchy circles, in the wild. You know, if you're at work and there's non-Christians around you, you're like in the wild. But this is also maybe making some intentional time to be a regular in, in other places where you're just spending time and people get to know you and you get to know them. Pray that God would send more church people into the wild, into the field, if you will, right? And then around the world, pray for more global laborers. You know, sometimes as an outreach pastor, I'm like, yeah, yeah, foreign missions, but we really need to, but it's like, no, they're not competing with each other. <laughs> Pray that God would send forth more foreign missionaries going into places that they don't live and living in a new place and being among a different people for the sake of Jesus. Because Jesus wants to adopt, God wants to adopt more people. And those laborers get to be a part of that. So the opportunity, the harvest is great. The problem, the laborers are few. The answer, pray harvest prayers. Pray earnestly for laborers. The only way you're going to pray earnestly is if you have a vision for the harvest and the heart of God for adopting more people into his family, if you care for that, and also if you really believe that there is a problem, the the fewness of the laborers. But again, as I mentioned, look what happens here. Watch out, right? (laughs) Look back at our text. Verse 2, he says all the stuff I've been talking about. Then verse 3, what does he say? Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's interesting. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, like Yahweh, the Lord of the harvest, God, to send out laborers into his harvest. And he goes, 
I'm sending you out into the harvest right now. What might Jesus be implying there? He's the Lord. The Father, yes, is sending people out, but He's sending people out right there, right as He asked them to pray for that. And so that points us to the Gospel. The fact that God Himself is the, not only the Lord of the harvest in the sense of the one who's, who's uh, choosing to adopt people and, and, and sending people out, but isn't it amazing that the sender became a laborer himself? God's not asking us to pray for or do anything that he hasn't already done, right? Because how is Jesus a laborer? Well, he had eternal pleasure with the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven in all eternity. And even though he didn't stop being God in some real meaningful sense, he left heaven. He was sent from heaven. He said, I came down from heaven, right? He went. He left to come into this harvest, the world. And sometimes being a laborer is costly, right? It hurts to leave your family. It hurts. It's hard to live in a new place. Um, I'm guessing that it was more fun to be where Jesus was before he left and came down here. I'm just going to guess that, right? <laughs> you know, it was a little bit more pleasant, right? Jesus went, and he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He became the laborer to die on the cross for us and to rise again from the dead, that he might harvest you. If you trust in Jesus, it's because God had sent laborers into your life. It may have been your parents, it may have been someone out of camp, it may have been a friend, fellow soldier, I don't know. But you are part of God's harvest because God answered those labory prayers for you. Don't lose sight of that, that you needed to be harvested. And Jesus became the laborer to harvest you, and through your prayers, he's going to send out more laborers, and you're going to get more brothers and sisters a million fold to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. God, we pray that throughout this worship service, the rest of it, that you continue to minister to us. And Father, we pray that you would send laborers into your harvest. And give us willing hearts to be those very laborers ourselves, even as we pray. We pray for more laborers in the church, that there will be more volunteers in every aspect and ministry of our church. We pray for laborers in Pensacola. We pray for more church people spending more time with non-Christians, not as a hit and run, but as new friendships to form for their salvation. And God, we do pray that you would send forth more laborers into your global harvest, not just us on short-term trips, but please raise up more longer-term missionaries to go and to leave and go trusting you and to be part of laboring in the field. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>